This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hello everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to the Twisty Pod. I am recording this at 11.55 p.m. the night before this is supposed to go live because as I'm editing this, I realized I gave absolutely no explanation to my topic, to the subject, to my guest, and this is such an interesting episode, not to toot our own horn, but I just loved having this conversation, and I really hope that you love it too. Today, I'm speaking with my friend Noreen, who is the host of the podcast, Nor Shall Live, and Noreen decided to embark on what can only be described as a very fascinating, interesting consumption challenge, where she essentially is challenging herself to track all of her ins and track all of her outs based on how many products she's consuming, tracking her consumption habits, being very thoughtful and mindful of how she's shopping, what she's shopping through, and pretty much just being very honest with herself as somebody who is very influenced by influencers and makeup while also kind of battling this love for the environment and tourism. It is so fascinating. She's such an interesting guest and I really hope that you love this very honest, very unedited conversation. I hope that you get as much out of it as I did. She's absolutely fabulous. I will make sure to leave all of her information for her podcast and her Instagram in the description box below. So I hope that you enjoy. Love you all so much. Without further ado, Miss Noreen Chowan. Do you go by Noreen or just Nor? That's a very good starting question. So oh. I think I I tried to make Nor happen and it never happened <laughs> in my so personal cute. life. So I think I think we'll just go. I, I decided to just make it my like public name, so now no one has a choice. Like everyone just has to assume it's Nor. Right. But it's really truly like it's one of those things where like no few people in my personal life call me that and like it's usually over text like people will be like nor over text but Cute. I don't think literally anybody says it out loud which is really funny because now I've just forced everyone to say it out loud <laughs> for anyone it, who doesn't know me right but it should be your stage name almost you know <laughs> the vibe yeah that's exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay so for those of us that don't get to know nor in person tell yeah. me a little bit about you and your story and like a little bit of your background. Sorry to give you like the elevator pitch, but <laughs> but okay. Um, elevator pitch about me. Yeah. So basically, my name is Noreen. I am born and raised in Dallas, Texas, and then I'm a citizen of the world. But like, no, I'm actually that's so cringe. I hate when people say that. I'm not a citizen of the world. I'm very much American. Um, but I yeah, that. I was born and raised. Yeah, born and raised in Dallas, and then lived in Atlanta, Georgia. Went to Emory for undergrad. Um, they awesome. got the Eagles, even though we don't have a football team, but big up. Um, they got, or they got. American football team. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, I w- did my undergrad in sociology and political science. And I think I was introduced to the idea of environment because Emory is a very like environmentally conscious school. So is it was it? kind of, yeah, it was like embedded into me. So like, I just remember things like recycling, like true recycling was a really big deal. My roommate, um, shout out Amy. She's incredible. Love her to death. We were oh, randomly assigned and like, we're best friends somehow. Um, that's yeah, the dream. one of those rare ones. Yeah. 
I know. So she was an environmental science major. And so from being with her, mm-hmm. I got to be exposed to a lot more. She was like on these, all these like heads of committees for sustainability at Emory, all that jazz. So I think I was introduced to it there, but mind you, I use plastic bottles every single day of college, like all four years, wow. multiple bottles a day. Like that's who I was back then. Mm. Um, and then it wasn't until I moved to London, I did a double master's in Islamic studies and um, tourism environment and development as the second one. Um, wow. And I definitely want to chat about the tourism thing later. Cause for sure. But yeah, that's what drove me to London was to do that double master's. And I, I was on a full scholarship. So I got to hang, live, breathe in the UK. And that was always my dream because I've always tried to get out of America as often as I can and successfully done it a few times now. Totally. Um, so yeah, that's probably, I, I, I always give this really academic background, but I think that's just because I've only done academic things until now. So I have more to my personality, but that's my elevator pitch. <laughs> you know what? That's so stereotypical though, because I do the same thing. Like I define myself by moments of my schooling or career in a sense, but that's totally common. I mean, I don't, I think that's fantastic. And I also think maybe, and I want you to speak more on this, like there's hints, like little inflections in your voice that I feel like I get like bits of Londonness in it. Have you gotten yeah. that before? Oh my gosh. Everyone says that. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. Cause the Brits are like, nah, like you ain't British. Like you ain't it. Right. This right. Ain't chief. Like none of that. And then the Americans are like, wow, you're British. Like what? And I'm like, guys, come on. It, I think it's just certain words, certain vowels. I mean, even like from uh, Canada versus America, there's certain little like A's that sound a little bit different, but I can hear it like in little bits of your voice. So when you first mentioned London, I was like, that's it. Like, there's a reason it makes sense. So you, you live there for two years. Is that what you said? Three. Oh my goodness. And you probably had the time of your life. Yes. Like, and honestly, COVID cut the last like six to eight months short, but Mm. I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer about that because I did like, I loved London to pieces. I got to live in the city. I was like in central London, which is a very big deal living wise. Cause that's where everything's happening. Right. Um, and it was incredible. Yeah. That was definitely like home away from home for a while. I did not realize that this was this recent that you were just there. Yeah. Like in November of 2020. Oh, wow. Okay. COVID kind of threw a curveball into your plan. You were abroad there, but then you finished up your schooling back in Dallas or yeah, in Houston? Yeah, like partially a mix of, in mostly in Dallas, entirely in Dallas, but yeah, like flew home during COVID. I traveled, I traveled during COVID. Let me just admit it. I did, but it was because I was like trying to come back to America when it happened right. and then flew back because my apartment was there. All my stuff was there and I needed to finish my dissertation. Mm. And so flew back again and then flew back in November when I was like completely done with my dissertation and then like had no place to live. So I was like, okay, coming home, mom and dad, your place. Totally. Okay. So you started to mention, first off, your water bottle intake, your plastic intake, which is of course really interesting considering where you're at in your journey now with your, your podcast, your lifestyle, your perspective on everything. And also your pairing of Islamic studies and tourism and environmental studies. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to like have like a cute little bonding moment here about your tourism yeah, because tell me. well I don't think I can speak to it as much as you can but I worked in hospitality I worked mainly in hotels so I was on the wow. hotel side and also PR agency side I, I'm just freaking out because my parents work in hospitality like in hotels huh. so that's what drove me 
to do a tourism degree. Really? And so that's why I think it's crazy that you also worked on, like, you're like, yeah, hospitality was tell them, like, wait, tell me more. What did you do? Like, how did you find it? Yeah. Well, you know, what's so fascinating is I, for the longest time, kind of had this admiration of hotels or really just tourism in general, but I never knew that that was a major. I went to school for special education initially. And so that's what I thought I was going to be doing my whole life. But then once I kind of was like, oh, life crisis, like, I don't know what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. I didn't realize I could have gone to a school that actually had hospitality as a major, but I just loved hotels. I had this huge admiration with just the idea of making somebody's day, like being the person who creates the vacation for the families that come and stay at the hotel, like that whole thing. Yeah. It was just like a fun aspect. So that was my perspective of, Oh, I want to work at the hotel so I can, it's going to sound cheesy, but like make people's dreams come true. Like that was my thinking. So that's why I wanted to work in hotels, but your parents must've inspired a lot of that growing up, or you probably really enjoyed seeing them working in their field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think so for me, I think it's funny because my parents are like immigrant parents. They do the whole, like, we got to start from the, started from the bottom. Now we're here sort of situation. Right. Right. And so for them, like a hotel is actually like, incidentally, my father's dream. It was like his dream. We bought this absolutely rundown hotel. It was built in like the late seventies and it's made of complete concrete because it's from an era when buildings were made of concrete. And so it's like this concrete mass and it's in Arlington, Texas. And it was right next to the new Cowboy Stadium, like the brand new Cowboy Stadium that was getting built. And when we bought around two or three years before we bought it. So actually that was like, honestly, like my parents dream to remodel it. Like we had to, it was literally so cringy before and it was creepy. I was 12 oh years old gosh. when they bought it. Yeah. So like seeing that whole, like it went from literally the cringiest place on the planet to like something that's really boutique and cute now. And you know, they still own it. They still operate it. All that jazz. Um, Whoa. I didn't realize yeah. they owned the hotel. That's amazing. <laughs> no, you could can we edit that out. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, but yeah. <laughs> hey, hype them up. They did all that. That's amazing. You know, it really did. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So you obviously saw all of their hard work and you loved that. I'm sure you probably grew up like Zach and Cody kind of lifestyle. Like, Stop. Yeah. I was, this is so embarrassing, but like I was known as the London Tipton of my high school because I was <laughs> high school. Me was very airheaded and it worked because I mean, not worked, but it was one side of me. Clearly there was another side that was decently smart enough to get into college and all or go to college or choose to go to college I shouldn't say smart enough to get into college everyone's smart enough but yeah that's that's that so um yeah did live that lifestyle my sweet I I had some great memories don't get me wrong like my sweet 16 was there like I got to do a full-blown thing I don't know how we got into this at all because this is honestly Taylor I don't tell people (laughs) like it's not something I talk about honestly it's so nice talking to someone who had that view of hospitality because to be honest for me being on the other side of the hospitality industry like being part of this hotel owner life, you know, and getting to see my parents and their troubles with it. Right. Like for, Mm -hmm. I've only ever gone to see the negative almost, which is funny. Like it's Mm -hmm. very much like dealing with people, you know, customer service. What, how do you make people happy? And then like, I guess it was just kind of the grind. I got to see like the pure grind behind it almost. Um, and how difficult it can be at times. So for me, I think it was going into it thinking that I was going to like support my parents and like, you know, build some sort of legacy with them. But I think it came down to, for me, the environment piece ended up outweighing it in my degree. I think that's what ended up happening. Right. Right. Well, and I mean, clearly it seems like that's something that you found your, like you were magnetic to that 
interest because now it's become something that you're thriving on like as a hobby. And I feel like when you can start to see your hobbies come to fruition in like a very passionate project sort of way, that's when, you know, like it's something that really matters to you and, and you can see it like in your heart, which I love. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I would love to hear a teeny bit more about not a teeny bit more, a lot more about <laughs> your podcast and kind of your reasoning behind it. And really actually let's back up here. I want to know like your transition from being the girl who was Mrs. Plastic Water Bottle. I don't want to brand you as that, but let's just say somebody. I'm just going to live in it. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, trust me. I was the exact same way in high school. I would bring three water bottles with me to school every single day during the day and one for cheer practice every single day. And it sickens me to think now. And I went to a college where plastic was banned on campus. We were not allowed to use plastic water bottles. Mm, Oh, I wish I had that. I mean, yeah, it was, it was great. But of course, like you think back, oh my goodness, I was that person. But what was your kind of like switch moment where you realized, okay, maybe I need to start making swaps or what enabled you to kind of have that different perspective on the environment? That's so interesting. Cause it's honestly one of those things where I can't recall at this exact moment, a switching point, but what I can recall is this awareness that happened with my other true love, which is color cosmetics or makeup. And so I have been, yeah, I don't think that's clear to anybody, but I love makeup. Like I love that. Um, (laughs) It's like, that's probably an industry. That's the industry I work in right now um, is the beauty industry. And I would love to work and work on the environmental challenges within this industry for Mm. so many reasons. There's so much to unpack there. I'd love to do future podcast episodes on it. But I think what happened for me was I realized like, Noreen, you don't finish a third of your makeup or, or half of your makeup usually. And it all just ends up in the trash, which then sits in a landfill. And I think that recognition that like, I kind of got obsessed with landfills for a little while because I was like, oh my gosh, like how many things are in them that we didn't even give a second life to? We didn't even give a chance to. Right. And I think that's what started turning the gears in my head about the environment was more of the waste. Originally it started from the wayside. I think now I've moved into understanding the entire life cycle of things and products and um, ecosystems and things like that. But it started from this idea that like, oh my gosh, Noreen, you consume so much makeup. It was, and this was when influencers went on Instagram, were getting like huge PR packages. Like you were seeing like displays coming in the mail, right? Like, do you remember that? Totally. That was like probably what, like 2017, something like that. Yes. Yes. Top of influencer marketing PR packaging era. Yeah. And you look back at that and I realized like I was being so influenced to, it was kind of pathetically sad, but it was kind of like, I would see these like, especially Brown women influencers who I adore and I support, but at the same time, they were getting these packages full of like 50 shades of lip colors. I'm a huge lip color gal, like lipsticks, gloss, all that jazz, like I'll eat it up. Um, and so they were getting these 50 shade, you know, PR packages and they would be shades from like all the way to like four very pale lips, all the way to very deep lips. Mm -hmm. And they would be using them or they would be swatching them or they would be testing them. And I would think that, Oh, I need to get all 50 shades of this collection. I can't just have one, like, like a normal person. Um, and so I was buying, I've never bought 50. I don't think at once at once anyway. Um, (laughs) but, but I was buying like six to eight shades per go 
-hmm. And it wasn't even colors that necessarily suited me, but it was just because I had this idea that I needed to have all of them, which I'm not the only one to have experienced this for sure. I think so many makeup people are coming out now and being like, yeah, this like Alex Ikea drawer that everyone talks about, which I never owned, but like, I understand the concept that you want to fill it up and you want to have everything in this huge drawer and you want it to be filled to the brim. So I think that was the kind of mentality that I started like literally cracking out of in 2017, 2018. And that started my conversation about waste. And then from there it moved into environment. That's so fascinating that you mentioned that because I feel like I was, I've never been somebody into makeup purely out of lack of talent. I guess you could say, I just never took the time to educate myself to do makeup better. So I'm the kind of person that would, I don't even want to say this out loud, but I I (laughs) would have makeup for so so long, you know, like past the, the recommendation on the label, (laughs) but hardly ever would I even reach the bottom of anything. I mean, maybe mascara, like that would probably be it, but that's a really interesting point that you started to just realize how many things you probably owned. Were you really using all of it? Was it even getting its full usage because you had to throw it away when it was properly supposed to be thrown away, like timeline wise. So you probably started noticing in your everyday routine, I have so much of this makeup and it's kind of interfering with my interest in not impacting the environment. Right. Which took honestly ages. Like the challenge that I have now on the pod, isn't the first time I've attempted any sort of consumption challenge in 2019. Very comically, I tried to do a no buy. I made it to February, the first week of February. And there was this huge sale at Colt beauty and they do this thing where it's Colt beauty is like a UK, um, cosmetic retailer so it's like the sephora of the uk except exclusively e-commerce so they had like a huge they do they still do this but it's like a thing on their website every quarter they release like this like huge package and it's 150 pounds and you get like 25 to 30 like some full-size products some sample products but it's all like super high-end stuff usually like stuff Mm -hmm. that would easily cost me like 150 dollars for the actual bottle so me being the beauty junkie i am that february was like yeah i want to know by but this is fine and I broke it like I spent 150 pounds like yeah and that's 200 that's around 200 dollars in one go on minis Mm -hmm. and every single one of those minis is just gonna be trashed because they're too small to actually refill and do something with and they're not designed to be recycled properly because they have so many parts to them to be mini exactly and so the idea behind a no buy is like quite literally as it states, like not buying any new products. Is that right? Yes. If anyone does choose to take on a no buy, which there are, I'm seeing actually the trend. I've seen it on YouTube. There's like Hanalise Poston, who's done an entire no buy year. Her videos are like an incredible resource for people in that space. If you Google no buy on YouTube, it's an entire genre of people documenting that journey. And it can be for as long or as short as you want on particular items, et cetera, et cetera. So there is an entire genre of people doing this. And so I was influenced by them to take on the challenge. But um, it didn't stick. So that was that. Hey, but at least you probably spent a few weeks time not buying anything, which is better than not trying at all. You know, it is. Yeah, that's that is the positive. But oh, man, my brain was still there. Like, I think that's the scary part. And I'm sure we'll touch on that. And I will touch on that all the time because I'm realizing what's happened to my brain Mm -hmm. through this kind of influencer process, but also Mm -hmm. just like how we live our lives, like where my brain is 80% of the time as a consumer. Right. And you have to wonder at the same time, would you even have wanted some sort of uh, sale package or even just 
50 different shades of lipstick, for example, if you hadn't have seen it on social media, probably not, but you have that kind of innate quote unquote need to want the same things as the people that you're admiring or seeing online. And you're like, oh, well they have it. I have to have it, but let's dive into your current challenge because I haven't even given you the opportunity to introduce it yet. So (laughs) you mentioned that you tried the no buy. What is your current environmental approach, your current challenge of the moment? That is kind of the center point of your podcast, nor shall live. Yeah. Um, also wait one second. I think it's really great that you went with live because some people are going with live and if I'm being, no, 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 listen, I didn't plan that. I didn't know. I just kind of put it out there. And I said, the beauty of this word is people can say it however they want. And I never have to deal with them because I never say it on the podcast. That's a good point. Well, I just thought it was such a good play on words because I was assuming it's a combo of your first and your surname. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, nor shall get wasted, nor shall exactly. be live or whatever. Thank you. Exactly. Nor, yeah. Nor shall live. Like I'm living like this is, thank you. You're the only person to get that. Like <laughs> the only person so far. Oh, I think that's so wonderful. So yeah, I'm fine. You're with doing talking. it. You're doing great. Yeah. It's happening. It's, good. it's getting out there. It's, and it's funny because my friends who know me in like person are like, no, it's Norshaw live because you're live and you're talking and you've always spoken. So we like, finally, we just get to make you like a radio host or something. That's how right. my, my friends see it. So I'm happy to see other people be like, no, we get the pun. Like we're supporting the pun here. So anyway, we totally um, love puns here. Yeah. The current challenge, um, it is the Norshaw get wasted challenge, which is hilarious because I do not drink alcohol. So it's actually, I found it even funnier because I was like, Haha. like, this is so funny. Um, but I'm so clever. Yeah. I was like, I'm so funny, but, um, no, this was, it was created because I recognize that doing a no buy is at this point in my life, it's not feasible. And there's a lot Mm. of reasons behind why. So for me, it was kind of understanding that I'm constantly in transit. Now, obviously COVID put a huge damper on that, but I still seem to find a way to like wiggle myself out of living in one place for a very long period of time. So being in transit often means that you end up having to purchase things. You end up having to give away things. There's a lot of, you know, in it, literally in and out happening. And so for me, I wanted to design a challenge that was testing me, but Mm. not breaking me or making me feel like a failure when it comes to the environment, because that eco anxiety, which is like a real genre of experience, it's real. And so for me, I wanted to design a project that wasn't going to do that. Um, and so the ins and outs challenge or the, the get wasted challenge was born and in it came the ins and outs concept. And so that for me is anything. And every month I try to track what's coming in and what's going out. And the hardest part of this was trying to define the rules and the kind of boundaries, because you can have kitchenware that's coming in, right? Because we buy like our air fryers or whatever other, you know, hot tool is out there. Um, So it's kind of like, where's the boundary between what's an in and what's an out. And now I've learned that I have to recognize that not only are things out, they're also like, it's like something sitting in my home empty or not being used or I'm done with it, but it hasn't left because I'm trying to dispose of it responsibly. And so I'm realizing there's empties and then there's actually outs, which are much harder to come by. Um, And the thing is, even if it's an out, um, if it ends up in the landfill, it's still considered an out. It's just that I'm having a hard time letting it go to the landfill. So I'm just hoarding it. So I'm also just becoming a hoarder. This challenge is overcoming it off. You don't want to count it as the out. You don't want to contribute to the landfill. So you're just contributing to the apartment. <laughs> at this point. Just, I have, I have a 
box full of trash like beauty trash or like stuff outs or whatever from January and February sitting at my house and my mom was like about to throw them away because I'm away from home and I was like no 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 I have to keep it and she was like why like this is trash like stop being such a weirdo what are you doing do you have like a a control number in your mind that you were doing prior to the challenge versus what your numbers are looking like now? That's a really good question. I think I don't have a control number. Um, but I think what I'm trying to do is 12 months is a long time and 12 months gives oh, you, I didn't you know, know the whole year. Yeah. Heck yes. Really <laughs> yeah. Time. It's a long time to be tracking your ins and outs and like what we're in mm-hmm. April and I've already seen May. Oh, we're in May. Okay. Yeah. I guess we're in May. Happy May, y'all. Happy May. I do that all the time. I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm honestly, I, I'm still not in May. <laughs> like I'm not understanding no. that it's May like sixth, seventh. Yes. Oh my god, you said sixth. Like that's like London sixth. talk. <laughs> I was that's I think it's so funny that you're saying this I was literally telling I was on um the phone with my boyfriend on the car ride over to home and I was like de Barcelona de Barcelona and he's British and so I just make him say every European accent that I like and I'm like right hey, just say it <laughs> like trying he's like I'm not Spanish I'm British like I don't know why you dumped this on me yeah why am um, I doing this right now <laughs> or Ibiza isn't that what they say yeah Ibiza, I always get that one tripped that. up from Love Island no yeah oh my god yeah you and your love island phase I loved it I was like oh my god tell me more what do you think it's not even over the phase is like I will never stop loving love island I, I can't but it's it's seriously the best show but I digress sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no no I love it no no yeah this is this is what it's all about it's all about loving on the Brits we love the Brits I'm I've been an Anglophile since I was a child though side note like that's just who I've been is that a real word yes <laughs> it's so creepy it's so creepy (laughs) I think I probably am too we just love them they're so like fascinating and beautiful and I kind of am really jealous you're dating one (laughs) yeah no it's like it's the perk of my life right now I don't know if that's like what you say about your significant other but it's a huge perk to have them be British yeah that is a good perk you're just like keep talking for me so just sing me to sleep or something (laughs) no yeah for the first year it was like oh my God, this is amazing. And then like now we've been dating for over a year. So now it's kind of like, yeah, that's enough. Like, w- can we move on from this conversation or something? But before right. I just let him talk for ages. I'm sure he loved it. <laughs> yeah, he, he went along with it. I think he's he's pretty proud of his own accent, even though he didn't have any control over it. But um, right. yeah, right. he's very pleased with himself about it. So that's him for in a nutshell. Maybe that's where you get a little bit of your inflection. Maybe it rubs off of him too, since he's obviously still in your life, even though you're not over seas well what's it called across the pond is that the right across thing the pond yeah okay. it is the right thing um or overseas either one's good but I do have like a handful of English friends that I've made um over the years and I've also made like Canadian friends like the, the, the programs that I was in right. they were so diverse that I really did pick up like at some point I was saying big instead of bag because one of my best friends was Canadian and so he'd be like oh let me go get my bag and I'd be like yeah let's go get our bags <laughs> That's so funny you say that. That's how people in Washington talk too. They really? they have that that A. Maybe it's because we're really close to the so border. Close. I don't know. But yeah. yes, uh, even I, I went to a school called Gonzaga, but people would say Gonzaga or we, they'd say go Zags. <laughs> I was like, oh we're the God. Zags, everybody. <laughs> you were like, I'm going to say a lot for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but right. they like had such a good like, you know, joking 
a vibe about it. Everybody knew like, yeah, we say it sort of with that, that longer a, so at least people were like joking, but yeah, I didn't know that, um, so many other places had the a too. Yeah. I didn't know that even Washington, like that's kind of wild to me. Um, Mm -hmm. my roommate, Amy from college was from Seattle. Um, so yeah. So like she didn't have an accent. I will say she had a very like straightforward American accent, but yeah, now you've got me excited about the Washingtonians. Like I want to come listen to them now. It's like certain sex, sex, S E C T's. Uh, it's, it's weird. Even like I have one friend from the exact same area. He says it, but the other person doesn't. So I don't know if maybe just upbringing or I don't know how any of that works. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no. Yeah. Accents are really, and in the UK, you'll notice like accents are really finicky. And I think we take them for granted in the U S because we pretty much can in the mainstream space, we all pick up like a very similar accent, but in the UK, like you can have a household and everyone in the household will have significantly different accents just wow. because of the like regionality difference and like your primary school and if your teacher had a funky accent you'll pick up on it or your classmates or whatever so it's actually insane how much regionality and dialect difference there is across the UK totally. um and so like I have friends or whenever I travel you go to different parts like Liverpool accents are made fun of quite a bit in the UK because they're like this cute little itty bitty like almost like a mi- mousy accent huh even though it's really cute, I think it's adorable, but the Brits like make fun of it in terms of like, ah, you're scouse or something like that. And apparently that's what you call someone from Liverpool. So anyway, <laughs> accents are like, I learned so much about accents while living abroad. It was, it's been interesting. That you're so right that, I mean, from my Love Island watching, they always <laughs> mention that. Like, they're like, oh, I wouldn't yeah. hate somebody from Essex because they, you know, the two yes. may or whatever they say. <laughs> I never realized like that's so important to them the region of course and the accents and it's like they they know right away like oh I can hear from your voice exactly. like, you know exactly. you're you're northerner you're a country boy whatever <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so good. Yes, oh my exactly. gosh I love it no exactly. I love I'm so happy you've watched Love Island because I do think it's a very integral part of British culture they'll deny it sure. but as as an observer they they really do put the bill there so right it's like our bachelor of sorts. Like, you know, you watch it because it's, it's here and other people watch it. It's not one of those like, oh my gosh, like best TV show on the, in the world. I just love like feeling connected to the characters. That's, that's all it really is because you vibe with them for 60 episodes. So you really get to know these people. And yeah, it's, it's oh fun. my gosh, it is. It really is. Anyways, I'm sorry. Sorry. I got you off on a tangent. I, no, I, I wanted to hear a teeny bit more about your ins and outs because I was, I feeling like I was getting a teeny bit confused. So what are your like hard and soft rules and what are your caveats? This episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com. It's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full nineties throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. Hard and hard rules would probably be that anything that's in the beauty space, anything that's clothing, anything that is most anything, even if it's a need, it Mm. counts as an in. 
Um, and that's kind oh. of where it generally falls in. And the reason why is because I'm truly trying to see how much is coming in and at what speed. I'm also keeping track of the data in terms of if it's secondhand, if it's borrowed, you know, like if I bought it secondhand or if someone lended it to me, right. um, if I bought it brand new. So those are all things that I'm tracking okay. because I do think that the numbers don't tell the whole story. So with as we go into the environment conversation or as you go into the sustainability conversation, right. there is a lot more to um, piece out in terms of like what's actually the best and what isn't. And looking at the numbers from this, like just looking at the numbers from like a number where you're like, I brought in 40 things this month. I'm ridiculous. I'm killing the environment. But if all 40 of those things were secondhand, you probably did fine to be honest. Yeah. Um, in some ways, I think there's still some caveats to that, but that's kind of the in, um, rules that I kind of set up. And I think I try to not let myself fluctuate, but I'm trying to be as transparent as possible. Honestly, like I'm not Holy. doing this because I think I'm some sort of person Holy to be watching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, God, exactly. no. Um, I'm doing it to show that this is hard. Like it's hard when you have to look at the numbers. It's hard when you have to deal with your own issues and your own wants. Like I have a confession to make. I can make it on this pod. I'll make it on an episode, right? Like there's, there's times where I'm messing up and it's not meant to be a perfect journey. It's just meant to be that tracking and that self-observation and that willingness to like put myself out there with the ins at least. So do you have like a running Excel sheet? Is that your way of of keeping track or, and is it literally just like one, two, like counting, like a tally sort of, or are you doing it up into categories? So I'm really extra, which this is why I struggled to get the episodes out is because I like always try to do the most in the background or like as like, oh, well, now that this episode's out, go do this. And it's like, no, oh, I'd God, love chill that. out. Um, so I've kept what the program that I use is called Airtable. I don't know if you've heard of it. Oh, no, I haven't. Is it good? Okay. So it's incredible if you hate Excel because it, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? I don't know. Business majors. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, business majors, um, this is not for you. Don't join Airtable, please leave it for us, <laughs> us peasants, so we can use it normally and not have to feel guilty and not know, have to know how to do all, all these extra things. Yeah. Um, but it's basically like Excel in terms of like, it's a space where you can organize data um, and mm-hmm. have it be like nice in columns and cells and all that jazz. And um, do fancier stuff with it. But I basically like have started keeping a running sheet of everything as best as I can. So yeah. with things at, like with my January ends, I had like 30 or 40 come in from Lush, um, which is because I worked there. I had a 50% off discount. So I decided I wasn't going to track each 30 and 40, like in their individual row. But I said, okay, 40 at once. These are the types of products because it was easy to put them in groups of categories, but then pretty much anything that can be, you know, really clearly individualized out, I've left in their individual rows and then kept tally. And I'm also keeping track of things like yeah, like I said, how I acquired the product. Is it new? Is it secondhand? Um, is there any like detail about it? Is it supporting some sort of brand? Is this coming from a black owned brand an AAPI owned brand? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like, I'm trying to keep track of as much data as I can, because I do now that it is May, um, now that it's May, I'm realizing that there's so much that I'm collecting that I do think is shaping the project as I go forward. Totally. And I thought that was really interesting that you mentioned lush as well because I remember in your first episode kind of outlining the project you weren't really sure if you were going to count that as an in or an out because technically you use the product it's package free right and you're not really sure like if you should count it because you're technically purchasing it and you're buying it so you're consuming something but then I would assume like let's say it's a bath bomb it's going to dissolve it's going to go down the drain 
So does that count or does that not count? Yeah. In the end, I decided it counted. And mm. let me tell you, it's really nice for miles because they just go once I take one bath. <laughs> like, yeah, um, seriously. <laughs> I'm not mad about counting them as outs. But I think like what is interesting is like understanding that, yeah, I'm trying to get a hold on my consumption habits as a whole. And right. it is interesting to have to struggle with like almost like wondering, do I need this? Mm-hmm. And one, the thing is like, suppose I bought a bath bomb from like a luxury high end, like Lush is pretty good, pretty good, not perfect, but yeah. pretty good about their like, ma- about their sourcing, about their manufacturing, their like labor um, and wages. And then also about their recycling programs, sort of. I will say that they are currently throwing away all of the black plastic that they normally um, would recycle. They're currently throwing it away because of COVID. So actually I'm not oh. taking my black plastic to Lush to get recycled because they're not actually fulfilling their end of the bargain by recycling it. Wow. Just in case anyone needs to know, um, I don't work yeah. there anymore, so they can't get mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so they're listening to I my mean, podcast. They're like, oh yeah. my goodness. No, no. <laughs> Um, no yeah Uh, but like I mean it is it is just what they're doing it because of COVID they're not doing it because they hate the planet right so it's one of those things where it's like policies have to change they're responding to a global crisis but at the end of the day um if I were to buy a bath bomb suppose from a high-end brand that doesn't care about labor wages sourcing all that jazz right do I need that bath bomb right right I could almost justify it from Lush but in terms of consumption wise do I need it really at the end of the day um and that's kind of why I think I ended up counting it because of that kind of what if I was ever going to purchase this from someone else or something else I think when I first heard the challenge I was thinking from like the perspective of oh this is going to be totally just about like ins versus outs but now that I'm hearing you describe it more and just hearing how much data you're taking in I love that it's so much more focused on, all right, if I need to take something in, I'm going to make sure it's a brand that I care about or a brand that I can wholeheartedly support and also is doing their part. So like you're saying, like you want to track so much about your actual consumption patterns, making sure that your patterns are not exactly justifiable because yeah, you're right. Like you need, you need certain things like soap, shampoo, whatever, but more so like okay, if I'm going to choose to purchase something because I quote unquote need it, let's make sure it's going to be a good purchase. I think I was just so focused on the, the numbers part of it. Like, oh, you got to make sure you have more outs than in. But I love yeah. that you're kind of being very critical of yourself and also thinking, oh, if I need to buy something, I want it to be something that I can stand behind, I guess. Absolutely. No, but you're so right that when I started this challenge, the intention was to get my ins less than my outs. The intention was to be taking less um, in. And of course my outs will be going out, but it's the idea that I'm semi downsizing. I'm semi learning to control how much to take in. Um, I'm learning where to draw that line with myself. But the comedy of it is that, or like this divine humor that's come out for me is that like lols, like it's so much harder to get rid of things. It's so much harder to responsibly recycle them. Um, It's so much harder to give resell things or like re give things a home. Like this idea that I think side note or like somewhat related is I'm seeing influencers, this one particular influencer I follow. And I have like a weird relationship with influencers. Like I'm kind of semi committed to them. Like I, I do love them. Like, 
and I do sure. watch them. Sure. <laughs> I haven't like gone cold turkey on them yet. I know there's other like yet. people in the like yet. I don't know. Man, and some of them are hitting a point for me where I'm kind of like, I'm just gonna mute you. But like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I do think that there's one I follow who was talking about how she's going to put things on Depop and then like she purchases more and then puts them on Depop. My thing is mm-hmm. she's an influencer. So when she puts things on Depop, she gets the traction because she has a huge following that's going to redirect directly to her Depop. She's going to have people that are already watching her stuff and being like, oh, this has been like pre-selected almost, you know, like this is that thing. This is the thing because influencers are, right. are getting to tell us what the things are and then we purchase them. So she's getting kind of this upper hand in the secondhand market. But the thing is, average clothes do not resell very well um or average clothes don't resell as quickly so like you see a lot of these influencers post on their depop and they're sold out within a couple of weeks whereas the reality of settling secondhand which I tried doing when I was in London and I was I was um leaving so I was moving out of London I was trying to sell bags of my clothes because again I have a hoarding problem somewhat this is before the ins and outs challenge I had bags of clothes and I put them on Depop. I dropped the prices as low as possible, but Mm -hmm. no one was buying it because it's usually fast fashion brands secondhand don't sell as well. You're going to get pennies on what you paid for it. And it doesn't matter if it still has a tag on it because people are also buying into the experience of shopping in store and purchasing something online. Like that experience cannot be replicated in secondhand markets currently. Maybe we'll, we, there are some that are trying to do that, but Depop and Poshmark being the main platforms that I typically buy from or eBay, they're not able to do that yet. So my point is just like Mm. you, there's a huge conversation to be had around, like, even if you're trying to do this in and out and you're being secondhand conscious and all that jazz, there is this further for me, at least this idea of like, but what are my practices really coming down to? Um, which is obviously very meta and very hard to manage at all times. So again, like when, when, when I release the episodes around the actual, you know, outcomes of each month, your jaw right. will drop. Cause you'll be like, wait, this isn't what she promised. And it's like, yeah, because it's not perfect. It's not doable. Right. But I, I think that also is very, for lack of a better term, relatable. And it, it makes it seem like you're not just, well, this is, I'm succeeding. Like it's super easy and I'm having a great time and this is not impossible. Like anybody could do this, but the reality is, is that the world is different now than it even was five, 10 years ago, because you're right. Like you see so much stuff online, obviously fast fashion is a really big problem. Even if you purchase something, let's say in January, and then you realize you didn't really want it, but it it was too late to send back to the brand. If you put it up on Poshmark or Depop, the, the fast fashion is probably already out of style by then. Like the trend is already exactly. gone. So you're totally right. Even if it has the tag, people are like, yeah, but that's what people were wearing in January. It's February now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It cycles so dang quickly. Yeah. And I mean, it's even really interesting too, because, and I had wanted us to chat about this anyways, but I grew up, I think every single thing, first Thursday of the month or something like that, my mom would be like, all right, we're cleaning out our closets. Like we're going to donate all the clothes, blah, 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 that we don't need because we'd always get, I think it was called like the pink bag and the pink bag would come to our doorstep and we'd fill up the pink bag with all the clothes that we need. And she'd like force me and my sisters, like clean out your closets. Mm -hmm. And of course, like I've thought from a young age, oh, that's what you do with your clothes when you don't wear them anymore. You donate them, you give them to Goodwill, you go give them to a secondhand shop. But then- as you get older, you learn, wait a minute, is is that not even the right thing to do? Like, have I been doing the wrong thing all of my life and not realizing, first of all, it's a business. Second of all, am I just contributing to 
landfills like i thought i was donating <laughs> no 100 percent. it's like soul crushing almost <laughs> it's like this weird thing where you grow up thinking oh i'm recycling that's what i'm supposed to do i think there's also a term for it like wish cycling where if you yes. think something is recyclable you just sort of hope it is so you recycle it anyways but if it's not recyclable then it's kind of just ruins the whole batch i think yes are you are you quoting shell bizzle Yes, I am. Oh my God. I love her. <laughs> I love her. Oh I adore gosh, I'm her. I'm so glad you lo- That's how you say her name. I was just like Shelby's or something. I have no idea. Don't quote me on it. I Maybe into Shelby's. I've been saying Shell Bizzle. Is there, I hope there's an L at the end to make it Bizzle. No, you're probably right. You're probably right. I, I I'm like, Shelby lives, whatever. Yeah, she's so cute. I love her videos. She's so lovely. Yeah, I know. I'm so happy you said ex- about wish cycling, which is like, yeah, exactly. You keep throwing out what you hope will be recycled and then Mm -hmm. it ends up ruining the whole batch because yeah recycling is a business but I guess one more question I have for you is where Mm -hmm. did you learn about um the fashion trade or the fast fashion trade that comes after you quote unquote donate you mean when did I start to realize like things kind of get picked from goodwill and might go straight to the landfill for example yeah um honestly probably within like the last year or two, which is wild because like I was saying, I've been donating my clothes since I was like really, really little. I would probably say it was more so like once I started becoming a lot more interested in learning about ways that I can improve my life for the earth or, you know, little things I can do to just have a better impact. And I would start to even just like follow accounts on Instagram that maybe would have helpful information for me or just different resources and whatnot. Or maybe it was even from like watching YouTubers like Shell Shelby. Big <laughs> <laughs> up Shell Shell. And we don't know. <laughs> shell Shell. I once I started watching her, or I heard it probably just on the internet, if I'm being honest, because then you start to hear like, oh, wait a minute, all these things that you grew up thinking aren't true anymore or you thought that you were doing all the right things all of your life and then you learn it's not the truth so I would I don't even remember when I distinctly heard it but I know for a fact it's been in recent times which Mm -hmm. felt like a dagger to the heart because you almost think kind of like wish cycling oh I'm doing the right thing like I'm donating my clothes but now I try so hard to find a friend who wants them find somebody that's actually going to have use out of something I've lightly used or worn, whatever, because at the end of the day, that feels like, you know, exactly where it's going rather than wishful donating, I guess. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's exactly the terminology. And like, I guess I'm asking like where you heard about it for the first time, because honestly, even I didn't learn about it until probably a year ago because a lot Mm -hmm. more information came out about it, but there is, um, a couple of things I'd like to plug is like the slow factory. It's like an incredible free resource where they host like incredible sessions every Friday at 12 PM central. So like 1 PM Eastern. Um, and they have incredible speakers come and they talk about all sorts of things related to fashion and textiles. And one of the episodes that they did in like the spring was on fashion and waste. And they brought on people from like places like Ghana. And they explained that, cargo shipments in the big containers like shipping containers like on those big cargo ships they go full of clothes from America and Europe so from the global north to places like Ghana and then people make their livelihood off of reselling them but they have to spend like what would be like 
their two days or three days worth of wages on one cargo container, hope that that cargo container, because they don't see it, obviously it's like packaged really tight. They have to open it, break the seals. Oh, They don't know what they're going to get. And they're like, I'm not explaining this very well at all. There's an incredible hour long, like lecture about it. That explains the entire process of what a lot of these women are having to do. Some are men, they go, they take these like parcels of clothes. Hopefully they have like what is popular, what would sell. And then they sell it in the marketplace of Ghana. There's one particular one that I'm referring to. Unfortunately, I don't remember the name, but what shocked me when I was watching this is like, not only is there this trade um, and this is something I like highly stand against. It's like merchandise t-shirts um and or like you know like your like family reunion t-shirts you know that we have made popular at some point Pinterest probably did sure um so they've seen those shirts make it to Ghana within three months of the date that's printed on that t-shirt because that's how quickly clothes are getting cycled out of America and out of Europe oh my goodness and making it to developing countries which then or the global south whichever preference you have it's all kind of socio-political whichever terminology you use but it makes it to those parts of the world and then it wrecks their local economy because instead of buying shirts that are made by local artisans that would cost more they'd rather buy this dinky cheap t-shirt or this really nice t-shirt because we do donate nice things um thinking they're going to get to someone's hands that's you know in your local community but no it, it travels very far I mean, I'm not sure. So I guess this is more of a question, but let's just say like the Woods family reunion shirt somehow ends up in Ghana. Would that mean if nobody wants it, like it goes to their landfill? Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. So this is a website, Slow Factory? It's it's a website. It's an Instagram page and they have okay. like what they, I don't want to mess this up, but it's like the Open Academy, something like that. And um, I hate to butcher it, um, but it's incredible. Okay. It's a resource that's like, it's opened my mind. And this is after me getting my degree. I've learned right. so much just right. because of this open source education like platform. Okay. So what are some things from your degree that you learned that you almost like wish more people knew about, I guess, or maybe it's not as shared. Sorry. That's like the broadest question, but you know, like there's certain, like almost like hot topics when it comes to quote unquote sustainability, or, you know, there's some things that are like well-known and then there's some things that maybe should be talked about more. Like, did you learn any like key pieces from your studies? So from my studies, I feel like one of the things that I honestly was shocked by is that waste and environment is so colonial um, and by that, I mean, it is so again, with the like clothing trade, we do see the same thing where it's the global North taking advantage of the global South. Um, and mm-hmm. that's kind of consistent in every industry to this day. And it roots itself in colonialism. And colonialism is something I'm very passionate about because I, ironically enough, living in the UK, I learned about it the most. Um, yeah. But it's <laughs> living wow. on that side of the pond where, where they did the thing. Um, but yeah, well, at least they're talking about it. I feel like it's not mentioned here as much you know yeah yeah we don't as Americans we really we we think we did the what the revolutionary war and we were like yeah we didn't do anything or like we're not a part of this and it's like okay declaration um, of independence yeah <laughs> yeah exactly we, we, we're really gung-ho on that stuff isn't it the constitution we're, we're good um <laughs> like, we did it uh, but yeah I do think that like we with colonialism um living in the UK and studying it there I got to see it also in my degree programs a lot more and so with that you don't realize that even with something like tourism which we think is very you know it is driven by markets driven by capitalism you do see that kind of trade-off of like 
in terms of like the itch cringiness that I noticed, which is that we're still benefiting off of the global South, whether that's environmentally, we are happy to kind of trash their spaces, mm. even within the tourism construct and enjoy it. And that's what we do. We go to these parts of the world and we don't care about what, how we're ruining their ecosystem or how that we're impacting their lands um, mm. as we travel. And that does have a really big impact. And I also think like, I think one of the biggest awakenings to me which I never realized was just how much waste every time we travel creates from yes we I kind of knew about the airline bit where I was like oh like jet fuel is really terrible for the environment but then once you get there and how much you tend to absorb the resources and not necessarily do anything to offset them like we're not intentionally trying to offset them when we go to visit how much we seem to be like kind of taking advantage of the locals or the indigenous folks or whoever Mm -hmm. and we're really just taking and not actually leaving anything or giving anything back um and I think the worst offender that we got to study in depth was fallen tourism Oh, does that mean like people that go on mission trips? Yeah, yeah. It's like really, really ethically difficult and kind of mm. wasteful because it's like you're really not doing anything to, there's a lot of studies done on like, what's the point of this and what's the benefit of it? And oftentimes like there is no benefit. Um, it is very much just for your own benefit, like the, the volunteers benefit. And don't get me wrong, like I did volunteerism not knowing it was, this was like in 2014, I went to Tajikistan and worked there. You don't, yeah, you don't realize it. And it's just that again, the global North taking advantage of the global South. So American kids getting to go because it's a holiday, it's a trip, it's getting mm-hmm. to say you've done something for your college application. Even though honestly, if you looked in your most closest urban center, you would notice the exact same issues and the exact same struggles here in America um, as you would abroad. And possibly worse, probably yeah. worse, to be honest. I listened to a, a podcast once. Ironically, it's a Bachelor podcast. It's called Chatty Broads. Mm-hmm. Both of the hosts, one of them was on the show. The other one is just a friend. And they both grew up going on mission trips like every single summer. And mm. and they've kind of grown up and had this like regretful feeling about it. And they were the, the type that went for um, religious purposes or they would go maybe from Southern California to Tijuana, like right on the border of California and Mexico and go build homes, let's say, or something. But they brought up this interesting point where they said, like, we would raise all this money for all of us kids to go down to Tijuana, et cetera, et cetera. But why would we not like raise money for a carpenter to go or like somebody with like the knowledge (laughs) build the home, you know? Yeah, Yeah. I feel like there's a difference between doctors going versus like teenagers I guess 100% and I just thought that was a really interesting point like yeah you're right like we should have been paying money for carpenters or maybe giving the community tools to know how to do something so that you don't just build something and leave absolutely yeah no that's such a like I'm glad that they're so self-reflective to be honest I I admire that to be honest um start off with but I do think like even with doctors there's a lot of critique saying that like yes, you go in, but you're messing with their health infrastructure because you're, you're exactly right. You go in and then you leave. Mm-hmm. And for right. anyone who can't see us, we're doing this like hand gesture where we're like, you come and then you exit. And exactly. Then you, yeah. So, um, exactly. yeah, but, but it's, it, that's a huge problem in any aspect of when we try to go help developing countries or whatever, like it's the white savior complex, but we all do it. I do it and I'm not white. So like, it doesn't matter. It's, it's something that's very, um, innate to, what seems to be like European or American mentality. And then like, I think even when the, this is why I love the slow factory because they brought in individuals from the markets in Ghana and they were able to talk about it and they were given the mic and which is obviously incredible because they are the people that are going to face the issues. And it's so much better to support them 
with what they're doing rather than sit here and me be like, oh, what's the solution? You know? Right. Um, so. Or I mean, if you even think about like how wild it is that now they've built their livelihood off of our yeah, waste and exactly. that they have to spend two days worth of their money to purchase a container of waste that they hopefully can make more money off of. Like the, exactly. even the basis of that is so problematic. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Like I just, when, again, when you, I think when you dive into environment more and as far as tourism and environment go, like it's a shambles, it's a mess. Like we're, every time you get on a flight, you ruin the environment. Every time you go on a cruise, there's so much evidence that um, even when things like carnival or like cruise lines say that, oh, we don't create waste. It's like mm-hmm. they create it. It just doesn't make it to the landfill. Right. So they are not technically land waste, but they'll dump it into the ocean, but it is waste. So literally it is waste um, and it's not biodegradable. So I think it's just for me, what sucked about taking this course was like, I don't like traveling anymore. Like I can't travel <sighs> without a very intense like sense of guilt because I'm recognizing where all the problems are and um then COVID happened so I haven't traveled since so it solved the problem (laughs) (laughs) sure yes yes I mean how do you like move forward I suppose without like that just constant internal like gut feeling of oh my gosh I know all of the repercussions of everything I'm doing but at the same time you're also like wait a minute but I I want to go see my friends in London again. And I need to go see my family. Like how do you grapple or like, what's the right way to approach that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's hard. It's not easy. And this is, I think what every like environmentalist, every like, you know, every thinker's dilemma is like, well, I know the problem now. How do I actually find a solution? Right. Um, Right. And I think right now, like my personal experience and my stance has been the fact that like, like cruises my family loves cruises. Like my family is obsessed with cruise vacations. We take like sometimes two per year. Yeah. That's why it hurt me the most. Like it was a, that was like the shot to the heart situation where I was like, no, like leave the fishes alone. Like I thought we were going to be one with them. Um, (laughs) Like so funny. Oh my gosh. I've never been on a cruise, but I'm glad to know that you guys like them so much. Oh my gosh, stop. Well, yeah, I can't say to go because it wrecks the environment, but also it's, it's, it's terrible for your stomach because unlimited food oh. and human human nature um mm. they don't go well <laughs> they do not go well together so obviously like the cruise ship is um, emitting things into the air and whatnot but also wouldn't it be kind of adding to what we were just talking about like stopping at different ports entering and then leaving yes oh my gosh why didn't you take this course Taylor like you're so you're so ready for it like you're you're so you're literally jogging my memory about things that I learned and you are bringing up like the critical questions that my professors were asking that no that's that's funny that you mentioned that well I mean I'm also thinking like okay you're totally right like it has all these environmental impacts but then uh, for example my boyfriend's dad grew up in Puerto Vallarta huge port in Mexico also a huge Mm. tourist area and his family that it currently still lives there has been talking about also how the lack of tourism has been hurting the economy, which also turns and hurts the local Mexican people in, in the area. So it's like, wait a minute, hurts, hurts the environment, helps the economy. What do we do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. It's, it, uh, capitalism, throw it all out, throw it all out. <laughs> That is my, that's my final solution. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> that's my actual And answer. to conclude. <laughs> we can end now. That's it. Everyone hit capitalism. Rev it up. Thanks. Rev it up. <laughs> so no, <funny>. but, <laughs> but 
you're exactly right. And actually, I, I hate saying that there's a study without quoting the study, but there is a study. I don't have it in front of me anymore because it is in my like syllabus, but there is a study that shows that. Um, I trust you. Thank you so much. But no, um, there is a study that shows that cruise ships actually do not bring in like those. So cruise um, ships obviously stop at ports and then people get off for like the day and then come back on the ship. Actually, the ports do not make money off of the cruise ships coming in and stopping for a day. They actually make more money from people staying overnight um, for multiple days. So in that sense, Mm -hmm. cruise ships are also not actually that beneficial to the ports economy as much as if I just flew to that place and stayed there. Okay. See, I totally know what you're saying. And you know what, even from a hotel perspective, coming from somebody who did cruise contracts, oh, not fun. Okay, Let's just say that, (laughs) first of all, not fun, but they were like a hotel's dream. Like they would come in for a, a week or a weekend or whatever. And it would be like, oh my gosh, like that's, that's great for in that respect. No. Yeah. But I think from an environment perspective, then it's a really good indicator that like, if you're debating, do I take a cruise or do I just fly to that city and enjoy my vacation? Sure. I think that was like one of the final takeaways that I got from it as well, that it's like, actually, yeah, the cruise is just so much more destructive environmentally, that if you're going to, you know, engage in tourism to that part of the world, then might as well just fly there and right. stay there because that is, env- ec- that is economically better and environmentally I see probably what you're saying. slightly better. I see what you're saying. Kind of like a little bit of like a swift left turn, but one of the things that you mentioned when you were first starting off the project was one of your reasonings for maybe contributing to fast fashion, for example, was weight fluctuations or just even just seasons of the year, like wanting to have cute clothes for the spring, for the summer, fall, whatever. And I thought that was a really interesting point that you make because I've totally dealt with that myself or thinking, okay, if I maybe one part of the year fit into this size jeans, I'll just buy another pair to have for maybe when I'm going back and forth, 10 pounds, whatever. I mean, I know it's only been half a year for you, but how has that little nugget played into your overall challenge project? And is that having a big impact or not on maybe just like your overall healthy lifestyle journey? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Hearing you say that out loud. I'm like, (laughs) okay. No. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. You have no idea how much I'm fan playing this entire time. Like oh I'm my gosh, out no, over me here. Too. Seriously, when we're like an too. hour into this and I'm still like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. Thanks. Taylor with two L's. <laughs> um, it's really just one L, by the way. I know. I know. It took me a while. I was like, I was like, but her Instagram's two, but her thing is one. Yes. Like, what's the truth? Yes. Um, who's the real Taylor? Who's but, the real me? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It was just one of those like, oh, it's available on all platforms. Like take it, take it, you know, one day, maybe I'll have one L. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm really curious. Like I, I, I don't know. I have a theory. This is again, a complete, I know I have a theory where it's like, I wonder if it's like your name and having this perfect image of your name is very influencery. And now we're moving away from that. I don't know. I have a theory. Maybe. I don't know if I'm crazy. Um, Cause I really want to change my username. I'm so ready to do it now, I, I, but I don't know. But this is also because I'm indecisive if you can't tell. Mm-hmm. And like, I could never stick with one branding if you paid me. I probably could never do it. Um, sure. But like, like I would love to change my name to change the norm and have norm spelled like N-O-U-R-M. Do it. And like, that was, I know, but like, I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm, I don't know. I don't do it before I launched the works. podcast. So no <laughs> oh yeah, no. Oh, I think I have, I think I have it. Okay. If not, make a second account just in case. Like, so you have it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah, please remind me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remind me after norm. when you're editing. Um, send totally. me a 
I literally will. I promise. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have really short memories, so this needs to happen. No, you're um, totally fine. But um, yes, your question was around, yeah, weight fluctuation and how that's impacting my ins and outs. Yes. It's impacting every second of my being right now. And it's really, I think it's so, yeah, I think it's so fitting that you asked this question. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I remember the reason why I put that variable in there is because I've dealt with it, but it was the financial diet, which is like the YouTube channel, um, the financial diet, really good videos. I think the like main woman on it is her name is Chelsea. And basically she talked about in one of her videos, like things that cause you to spend more money or things that are Mm -hmm. causing you to not have the best finances, some video like that. And there were like multiple reasons, but one of the things that she mentioned was weight fluctuation at first when I heard that like oh having weight fluctuation or or being in this constant state of weight fluctuation or like if you are overweight and you're like oh I'm gonna be this small or if you're like really petite and you're like I'm gonna bulk up having this idea of movement of your body means that you're going to spend more money and I was like why I was like I don't know if I believe in that Uh." and then I thought about it and I realized it's so true because you're right exactly the problem that you might buy more thinking that oh I need this diversity of sizes or whatever Mm -hmm. um and it also is difficult because like even right now as I'm on my fitness journey I'm currently not where I want to be right whoever who is but like I'm currently not where I want to be physically and that's meant that I struggle so hard with having to buy things um that fit me so literally this is my this is my big confession moment I had a splurge this weekend, which I have not had in over a year and a half. Like I have not splurged on clothing wow. in a year and a half and I did it. And it was, thankfully, you're going to be so happy when you hear this. It was on the girlfriend collective. I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. How did you know? How did you know? It just makes me so happy. And it, that's like one of those, like, all right, if you're going to splurge, like, <laughs> was it bathing suits? No, but I saw your post about the bathing suits. And oh so I was gosh, like, stinking cute. They're they so are really gorgeous. Cute. Made They're from stunning. reusable, not reusable, um, recycled fishnets. <gasps> fishnets? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Have you watched, have you watched Seaspiracy? I have. And why did they not call it conspiracy? <laughs> Shout them out again. Say it louder again for them. Confused. <laughs> I'm confused. But yes, I did watch it. That's why I'm like, oh God, I had poke today. Like, I feel bad. Like, I shouldn't have done that. But it's hard, man seriously seriously but you know what that's like you're you're talking about your splurge like it it happened but you also like we talked about chose to purchase from a brand that you can stand behind right I think so this was one of those moments because the alternative if I'm being honest with you like if you look at my tabs right now so another thing I'm going to probably do is create a wish list um for myself and this is like a coping process that I'm trying to create for myself yeah um it's to manage my anxiety of wanting and being like, oh, but if I don't remember this, it's going to be gone and I'll forget what I wanted, which is like a weird personal anxiety issue. And um, also I have like a series on my page that I do that's called like talk me out of it. And this is what I have to do sometimes to help myself talk myself out of why do I need this? But with clothing right now, I'm really hitting this point where I'm like, I need clothes that fit me. 
I'm currently not operating in clothes that either make me feel good or fit me. And right. the worst part of all of this is this is where like my travel issues come up is I had to leave all my summer clothes in London because I moved in November thinking I'd go oh, back to shoot. London in March. Yeah. So everything that you would be wearing about this time of year is very far away. Yep. It's not an option. It's just not happening. So what do you think? Like, do you think that you're going to have like people ship it to you? Is that like an eco-conscious way of doing it? Or is it better to go buy things, find things secondhand? That's such a good question. You know, I didn't think about that. If it is better for them to ship it. I mean, the idea in my head, in my head, which the virus is not playing along with obviously, but like, um, <laughs> like for me, um, love that for me. Um, but I would love to, have <laughs> I would have loved to have been in the UK by now. I mean, I, I really, really was like literally looking at flights last weekend. I would love to see my significant other. I would love to like live like my British life. I'm partially really ready to go back to the UK and live there again if I could. Um, so I was, I'm hoping that I'll get to go back during the summer, if not towards the end of the summer. But that's exactly my dilemma where I'm like, well, then do I buy new clothes? Do I buy clothes that are fast fashion? Because here's my other thing. And this is something that I actually want to make an episode about, or I'd love to have more conversations with people about it, where it's like fast fashion clothes work for me because of the sizing. Um, and that's, mm. it's sizing plus cost. And I tried secondhanding, secondhanding, secondhand shop. Right. <laughs> was so weird. No, that's I, okay. I actually kind of like that term. Second handing. Yeah. So I was, um, thank you. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just go with it. So yeah, second handing. <laughs> I was doing that. I was doing that in March. And um, I went and shopping and I was like, I was struggling to find clothes in my size. And so I went in, I went to two different stores in my area, two thirds, or I'd say up to three fourths of all the clothes in the store were between the sizes extra small to medium, which left one third or one fourth um, I don't know fractions clearly. So I'm trying to get both options. <laughs> I'm like, let me cover there, all there my bases. There were things. <laughs> yes. Like, A percentage. <laughs> there you go. That's strange. No, exactly. Hey, we're trying with us here. It's fine. Exactly. I'm like business majors out there. <laughs> Help me out. But, um, yeah, basically the store was like, not, there was no, it was large to XL to double XL to triple, like whatever that range is. And of course, vanity sizing plays a role. So like, even if you have a large, it may fit as a medium, depending on what brand you're shopping in or whatever the maker is, et cetera. So point is you go in the store, I'm usually between a large to XL, depending on what I'm buying, nothing like zilch. And what? it was really difficult. I mean, I ended up buying like a handful of pieces, but they're not pieces I loved. And it's mostly because the sizing was either off or the selection wasn't what I wanted. Um, and that's the struggle. I think this is the struggle that I think plus size women or larger women, I like to call myself a chunky girl, like a chunky Brown girl, but, um, yeah. So like, that's the struggle that bigger women face in this space. And I'm sure bigger men face it as well. Um, but it's, it's the struggle of not being able to fit in, even when you're secondhand shopping. Um, and that's frustrating. And I guess what's also weird is the fact that it's trendy to buy clothes that are oversized and it's trendy to buy clothes that are oversized. And then like, whatever upcycle them you know upcycle them by taking them in or cutting them you know doing whatever you want to them but you can only do that with larger fabrics you can't do that with small (laughs) fabrics yeah no that I mean that's a really good point and I think for not for the most part but a lot of bigger brands have bigger budgets to have more inclusive sizing so you can guarantee if you're going to shop at I don't know you're going online you're going to shop at H&M or something, you can probably find sizes, hopefully 4X or something, but 
you you don't know when you're walking into a secondhand store pretty much unknowingly you don't know what you're going to find on the racks and even further there's kind of like that whole new genre of people who intentionally go into those stores looking to find things to resell like on a Poshmark on a Depop like as a business and I mean if that's a way that people like have to make ends meet. Like I understand the meaning, but also it, it has to do a lot with a whole different conversation, which would be like the gentrification of a lot of thrift yes. shops, which is so like, we're, we're like getting out our pitchforks. <laughs> yeah. like, ah! <laughs> I mean, you're right. Like first, like you think about like inclusivity in sizing, but then you're also like, wait a minute, but there's also this huge other issue of shops that should have low priced items meant for people that actually need them now are becoming like the trendy thing to do. Then the stores are empty for people who need them. You're a thousand, you're a thousand percent accurate. Let's get out the pitchforks. Let's burn it all down. Like that's what we need to do. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. And I was curious, like your take on that perspective, because I, I struggle with like, okay, should I just go immediately to a secondhand store, be at a boutique, a, goodwill whatever because that's the smarter eco-conscious thing to do or is that taking away from the communities that would shop there first and foremost because as we haven't even said yet all of these like swaps are just privileges in and of themselves like the fact that I have like the option in my mind or that we're even like chatting about it on a podcast is a very privileged conversation absolutely um I think like so what's really funny is and I don't talk about this often at all again, publicly, I did my master's dissertation, the, the tourism and environment master's dissertation on BIPOCs in sustainable fashion. And so that's what I looked at and what I like really dove into. And so this was a part of my dissertation to really grapple with, okay, what's happening within the concept of sustainable fashion and what are the kinds of race related issues that we see. And this is one of them, which is obviously like the gentrification of spaces that would also have these like, you know, small charity shops, charity shops, as they're called in the UK, thrift stores, as we've called them here. So I think you're completely right. But I think that the, what I found academically was that there obviously is no answer because it's academia and everything's a gray area. And theoretically <laughs> we would, you know, not ever purchase anything ever again. And it would just solve everybody's problems and leave the thrift stores for people right. that need them. But um, I don't think that's fair in the sense that I think that what people need to be mindful of is their cost. Um, And yes, it makes sense to make it a hobby in terms of like, yeah, maybe you do have a really good eye for thrifting. Maybe you are just incredible at it. And that's why some people are, are thrifters and make money off of it because they've got the eye that I definitely don't. When I walk into a thrift store, I'm a hot mess. You know, like (laughs) I am really lost. I look at a garment, I'm like, this could fit me. And then I'm like, I take it home and I'm like, oh no, no, like I have to give this to someone else. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that, I think at the end of the day, there is that ethical slash your practices and what you're in line with. And I think that's something I covered in, I think the second or third episode of my own podcast, third episode of my own podcast, where I was like, mm-hmm. shop your values, right? Recognize what your values are. If you are somebody who does need a secondhand garment and you like it, of course you should buy it. And if it deters you from buying fast fashion garment, that would be the same. You should definitely buy it. But at the same time, if you are somebody who's like, I'm going to buy this for $3 and sell it for 12 and like teehee, like, you know, this is how I make money. That's fine. But realize that if you're close in close proximity to a neighborhood that actually uses this as their main source of clothing, um, that's a bit unfair. And that's something that you probably, whoever it is needs to work through. Um, I haven't seen it happen like on 
macro level scales where I'm like, you know, I can call people out or actually point sure. point my pitchfork at somebody. No, I, I haven't been able to find that, but I do think it's a conversation and it's only going to get worse. And I think only going to get worse because I noticed that Gen Z is an interesting place to study academically because mm. they seem to have a lot of values, but then they don't necessarily show them like they don't actually put them into practice yeah Mm. um I could call some people out but as in from my own family (laughs) oh yeah Um, (laughs) pull them out yeah no I'm like but I notice I notice it quite a lot I I feel like it's it's my sister and I feel like she (laughs) heard me say it she'd be like you're the worst so I I won't publicly call her out but I think like it's just about like realizing that there is a study and conversation to be had with Gen Z because of course they have all these morals they have all the actually things at their advantage like we didn't have Depop and Poshmark when we were in our teens or in our early 20s um and so they have all these tools at their advantage are they actually using them or are they just kind of on a soapbox because they can be and they get platforms yeah that's a really good point I mean also because I feel like you're right yeah they like people have platforms or they want to feel included and so if somebody else is preaching for something and they're going to jump on board for it but then they're also going to want to be on top of all of the fashion trends for example then maybe their values are not in alignment with their purchases or what they're saying their values are, are not in alignment. And I, yeah, you're right. That's a really interesting like case study because I've seen that also myself, but I don't feel like I ever made that like pinpointing of seeing so many people feeling so passionate in a really, really powerful and positive way, but then maybe not always carrying it out in the best possible way, I guess. Not a general statement, but in certain circumstances for sure. Yeah, no, I think like, it's really, there's a really good book and this is like a minor citation slash, like if anyone is interested and it's a book that I would love to cover on my own podcast um, in the sense that it gave me so much insight about social media and authenticity and like, and actually following through what you're saying. And Mm -hmm. it's called Outraged by Ashley Dottie Charles, who is a UK journalist. And it's a quick and easy book. um, And, but it's so powerful in regards to explaining that like outrage is like a currency. So my outrage is, is limited in what I can do with it or how much I have of it. And I need to spend it wisely on all these different topics. And the problem that we're having is at least this is her argument that I understood is that we're willing to throw our currency at, of outrage at everything, but it leads to us not following through with anything because we have so little to give by the end. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like picking and choosing your battles. And I think that with social media, you get the opportunity to pick and choose every battle and we can all share that post and we can all get on board. But even I'm having to learn that like actually like the whole black square thing that happened in June of 2020 around black lives matter. was a really, that was like the case study. And I think that's such a pinnacle ex- like explanation where it's like, of course you're going to share your black square because you do believe in this, but are you actually putting in the time and energy to do sure. something about it in real life? Sure. Debatable. Um, and that's no one's fault. It's just because we've created a culture of outrage with no action or no output. And we've normalized that according to Ashley Dottie Charles, <laughs> not that's, my actual theory. No, you're right. That sounds fascinating. And I mean, not like to put all of the blame in something, but like in a way it could be because of the culture of social media and how fast things turn around where you're constantly being like, like today, this is it. And then tomorrow it's this. And then the next day something else happened that you're, you're moving in like this fast little hamster wheel that all of your attention that you should be giving all year round to very important topics gets oversplashed by just the next news cycle. There's so much to be passionate about, but 
it's like following through with it, I think is so much more important than hosting a black square. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if anyone hasn't picked up yet, my podcast ends up being very um, scatterbrained because I am very scatterbrained and I have like, I feel like an interest in all these different things. And so, yeah, that's um, something I'd love to do an episode on down the line. But if not that book, that book was like a very foundational starting point for me to like start having that conversation within myself. And I think like, I just love doing social media analysis. I I love that. You know, I don't know if you've ever um, listened to the podcast Still Processing. It's a New York Times podcast. It's really, I mean, I really like it, but um, they just did an episode kind of like a a book club of sorts where they dove deep into a book and they told all of their listeners to read it like a few weeks in advance. And then they finally did the episode. So you could totally do something similar to that. And I thought it was a great like little outline, like an idea for talking about a book that actually has meaning and relevance to their podcast and similar, similarly to yours. And you know what? Nor shall live, nor shall live. Like she should do whatever she wants to do because let her live, let her, let her live, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. Oh my God. Thank you. That's such a good idea. And this is a supportive energy. Of course. What was that term you used? Eco anxious or something? Eco anxiety? Eco anxiety. Okay. I feel like that term sums up so much of like sometimes what I feel in, in regards to how I can try and help or how I feel like, you know, not to be like, woe is me, but like, I will try and do X, Y, or Z to help, or I try and do this, but then maybe it's not enough, or maybe nothing could ever be solved because the, the it's, it's capitalism and the world's bigger than me. And you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I guess I'm curious on like your perspective on that in and of itself. Like, how do you feel not so just scared to not even try because you feel like the problems are just much bigger than you to even tackle. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I want to give credit to where I heard, um, eco anxiety for the first time because they are an incredible creator. Um, her name is Lena Norms and she is on YouTube. She's on Instagram, but she mainly obviously produces incredible YouTube content and she used to work in the book publishing industry. So she's read a lot about climate change through the books perspective, like a book fiction and non-fictional perspective to be honest and so she was the first time I ever heard the term eco-anxiety and I feel like she talks about environment as well um, from her perspective all that jazz so she's someone that I want to give like credit to for me hearing it for the first time even though I'm sure she didn't coin the term but yeah I think she's an incredible creator and I feel like an imposter sometimes because I keep citing people as my knowledge but I just you're knowledgeable yourself (laughs) I mean you have a master's give yourself more credit and a podcast yeah no I think I need to every once in a while but it is I do take in a lot of content I I spend a lot of my time on this um for fun um but um I was trying to what I was trying to say was that eco-anxiety is definitely something that I think everyone is possibly feeling slash you defined it perfectly which is like what do I do and that paralysis the analysis paralysis is usually used in what like business but we'll just steal it from them for this moment um where it's like the more you learn, the less you feel like you're able to do. And yes. the big thing is at the end of the day, it is the systems and the structures that we've created. And the fact of the matter is that it's very difficult to topple them when there is money being thrown at them, you know, um, in the sense that there's money being used to uphold the systems we have today. Totally. I think it comes down to like, as an individual, it's okay to be aware of that and do the best that you can in the ways that you know, and in the ways that you have access to. So I think to start off with tracking your ins and outs is helpful, even if you don't do it on such a high level, but 
even if you just kept a running list on your phone, you finish your target run, you sit in your car and you go, okay, what are the things I bought um, that were necessary or were not necessary? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you mentioned like, how do I manage like food, you know, food, plastic, food waste, yeah. um, things that can come from there. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's like kind of bringing the knowledge into your arsenal about what is actually recyclable and what isn't and not having immense amounts of guilt when something does end up in the landfill um, because it has been for 25 years. And I'm not saying that it's okay for it to continue to, but you're going to hit a point where either you're going to be introduced to another option or you're going to move away from that option or you're going to continue using it. And you're going to have all three of those options for every single thing because everything just as a human, we're very wasteful um, or we've been, we've created wasteful structures. So I think it's about recognizing it and then working as best as you can towards it, but realizing there is a macro level structure that we are trying to take down. So there's movements like the pay up movement, um, which is to get fair wages for H&M workers. There are movements Mm. that are trying to say, don't purchase from places like H&M and Zara because the rate that they're producing is killing the planet. Um, But I do, I I still struggle with the idea that I may want to purchase something from like Abercrombie and Fitch for some reason, because apparently they've had a revival and their clothing is really cute all of a sudden to me. I don't know why, Um, but they are fast fashion. Um, Right. So, and also I (laughs) think problematically not inclusive. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're so right. I was having trouble with Lululemon the other week where I was like, I hate Lululemon. I know they're not size inclusive. I like have my beef with them, (laughs) but they're so cute. Like, yeah. Yeah. Dang it. Um, so I think it's a very introspective process. Also understanding that there, you have these needs and trends that we're seeing. I think you mentioned trends earlier. Trends are manufactured. They are not totally. a vital piece of your life. They are fully exclusively manufactured by people at the top who want you to purchase these things. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they're like local homegrown trends, they do get co-opted by companies to then make profit off of them. So um, I think it's just being aware and doing it as best as you can, but not feeling like you need to shame yourself or that you need to shame others because totally, it's a macro level problem. I love that you said that because I think shame and guilt can be a very common, like shame on you for buying from this brand, blah, blah, blah. When of course, no change is going to happen overnight. You need to be cautious and aware. And like, that's super, super helpful, but being judgmental won't help but education will always help. Yeah. And it's, it's education paired with like the reality that you're not going to do everything perfectly. You're not going to ace it every time. You're not going to be able to declare, like I've seen some influencers come out and say, Oh, I'm quitting fast fashion. And that's wonderful for some who can do it, but I'm not at that point in my life right now. Right. Like we talked about the body piece. I can't give up fast fashion yet because the sizing of it makes sense to me and it works for me. And so what am I meant to do if other places aren't working out perfectly or as efficiently? And I think the last piece for me, that's really, really key is understanding that like the amount of energy we put towards buying or not buying is equally as destructive. And so it's almost Mm -hmm. easier to say, let me just not do it. And therefore you get that kind of brain space back, which is at the end of the day, honestly, that's a very powerful thing to say, actually, I'm just not going to purchase anything at all and avoid it. And it saves you both the environmental dilemma as well as the like consumption and influencer dilemma. Right. Right. And the kind of having that like actual deep process with yourself. Do I need this new shirt? Do I really need this new jacket? Or can I maybe upcycle something I already own or, or whatever it is? Like being very honest with yourself, I think is probably something I need to be better at instead of just turning to what I see on 
Pinterest, Instagram, etc. But it's hard. It is hard. Totally, totally. My one last one is like, if you actually are trying to, my biggest tip would probably be for like, if you are trying to reduce your consumption is reduce your storage. So what ends up happening, Hmm. especially in American households, and this is something from someone who's lived abroad, this is something I've definitely noticed that Americans and American households have this incredible capacity to keep buying storage space or keep accessing storage space. So like when I lived in the UK, I lived in tiny apartments, like didn't have enough storage space for everything. And as an American, Mm. I did have an overflowing amount of stuff. But what made it interesting was I couldn't go to my local grocery store and just like, I couldn't go to Target. There's no Target in the UK. And um, it's emotional, but um, I couldn't go to Target. (laughs) I know what you mean though. You don't have the Target problem of walking in and and buying extra things or you didn't have the space for it. Exactly. Like in Target here, you can buy storage. Like there's an entire storage section that Mm -hmm. is there and it always has some form of cute storage for you to buy. And you can always find a reason to fill it up um, or feel like you always need more. But I think like the best, if you have a consumption problem and you're like, how do I solve this? Track your ins and outs. Like just do it for the sake of knowing. And I guarantee you that as you see your own patterns emerge, you'll be like, oh, oh, like I have a, I have a problem in X category. Maybe you don't have a problem in all categories, sure. but it's an X category. Um, and secondly, don't ever try to increase, increase your storage space, stick to as much storage as you have right now. And I made a, the day I made a rule with myself where I was like, you can't buy more makeup that fits in this drawer. And once that drawer was full, it was like, okay, like I, I can't, like, there's just nowhere to put it because I'm not buying more storage. And it right. became a good cycle for me to struggle with or within actually. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really good point too. How much makeup can you even wear on your face at one point? (laughs) Like, you know, you should have like your few little things that you cycle through same things with shirts, same things with anything. I mean, even like I'm a sucker for purchasing workout clothes because that's what I mainly wear. But if I have enough, I don't need more, I guess, you know, or I'm, I'm not as much as you, but I lived abroad for a few months and I basically had a capsule wardrobe and I cycled through it like wild, you know, and you've talked about this on your podcast too. You should normalize the idea of outfit repeating screw Kate from Lizzie McGuire. Like she doesn't know what she was talking about. Exactly. Oh my God. She's still in my head. Like every day, every day, every (laughs) day free. (laughs) Yeah. Let us be outfit repeaters and own it. Honestly. (laughs) <laughs> we, will, we will I think I've, I think we're getting there there's incredible like um there's the rogue essentials she's a real she coined I think the hashtag for within her Instagram space and things like that and she does incredible TikToks where she shows herself out there repeating um she's very big on like that anti-influencer culture and like mm. helping people break the kind of spell that it has on a lot of us on, on oh. all of us daily um but yeah I think I think we're moving in the right direction I think it's happening and I think that as people have just more honest conversations within themselves. And I think within their friend groups, they're able, it's not about having conversations with like influencers, honestly, because there's profit. Again, where there's money, there's not bound to be a ton of change happening unless people structurally change it. And the influencer structure just doesn't support that. But have these conversations with your friends. Like I know my friends, we walked into Zara when we went into the mall, like how many ever weeks ago? And they were like, are you okay with me going in? Like, (laughs) And I was like, I don't mind like I I'm, because I know that they're aware and they're making people are making decisions as they can and what works for them and this conversation is is not being it's not going anywhere so people are going to get on board at some point as right. best as they can right and I mean even though influencers are a problem in the grand scheme of things there's probably only a I don't know a few hundred in the world versus the billions of people that are 
constantly creating waste every single day. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, they're not great examples because of their impact, but they themselves as consumers, they're not as um, widespread, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Yeah. They're much fewer. That's thank you. Those are the words I cannot say. Well, I'm really glad that you like gave us hope and didn't have that sort of like, well, you know, everything's going to shit sort of attitude because that can be very um, paralysis inducing, as you kind of said. So I, I feel very like hopeful and confident and kind of like recharged from this conversation. So thank you oh so, so God. much for your time. Can you please oh gosh, no. plug yourself and your beautiful podcast and... I don't know, like maybe your dissertation or something. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. If it, if it ever got published, um, I would be laughing because it was, wasn't the best work, but it was also written through COVID and done in such a crazy situation that I'm just happy it was done. There but um, yeah, but of course um, my podcast can be found on, I believe every podcast platform that Anchor would host on, um, which is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And you can find it by typing in nor space shall live or live however you see that word it is the same spelling so we're okay and um you can find me on instagram at nor shall dot live um or live and that's kind of all I have in terms of socials right now but keep an eye out hang out I love talking in case you can't tell so um yeah and I hope one day (laughs) and I hope one day to have Taylor on the pod so you'll hopefully see her there as well oh gosh I would be honored sincerely you're so easy to talk with and it's so nice to hear somebody who's realistic but also super knowledgeable and honest and I can't wait to hear more about your journey and more about your challenge I think it's so dang cool and I'm just I'm so glad that we could have this conversation today so thank you all so much for listening I love you all so much I'll talk to you next week yay nailed it nailed it (laughs) 